Welcome to the Choate Family Office podcast series. On this show, we explore important topics related to wealth management, investing, and managing risk across generations. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Brian Monick, one of the practice group leaders at Choate's Wealth Management Group. I'm here with my co-practice group leader, Kristen Abadi, and we're also here with our partner, Adam Bookbinder. So we're talking today about cybersecurity and in particular ways to protect yourself from identity theft and similar crimes. Kristen, do you mind introducing Adam in a little more detail? Yeah, I'd be honored to. Adam is a member of our government enforcement group and advises clients on cybersecurity, data privacy, and fraud protection. Before joining Choate, Adam spent nearly 20 years in the U.S. Attorney's Office, working in Massachusetts and at the national level, investigating and prosecuting cybercrime. So thanks for joining this podcast, Adam. I really appreciate it. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in this space as it relates to our high net worth clients? Absolutely, Brian. So what I think we'll talk about are some of the kinds of crimes that are targeting high net worth individuals, give some examples of those, and then talk a little bit about what someone can do if they are victimized by one of these. And then the final thing we'll spend a little time on are uh, identity and cybersecurity measures that everyone should be considering to try to prevent these kinds of things from happening in the first place. Can you give us some examples of the kinds of crime our clients, our high net worth clients in particular, are you're seeing that they are being the victims of maybe more frequently? The first thing that comes to mind, and I've, I've seen this with uh, wealth management clients, are email compromise fraud. And what, what that means is you know, someone's email account gets taken over by a bad guy. Could be the individual's account, or it could be a vendor of theirs. Uh, maybe someone they, uh, they do business with, a, you know, an accountant or a realtor or someone like that. And the, the, the bad guys will be in the email account. They will be looking at what email is going back and forth. They will see that there's some kind of a financial event coming up, some kind of a wire transfer, maybe a deal, a transaction happening. And then they'll take that legitimate email string and they'll hijack it, essentially. They will jump onto it. They will send an email purporting to be from either, it could be the individual or again, their vendor who they're dealing with. And what they often do is they will ask for the instructions for an upcoming wire transfer uh, to be changed. So instead of using the bank account, the legitimate bank account that the money's supposed to go to, they will say, hey, you know, we've had a change. We're using a new bank now. Please send your wire to this account. And they will pretend to be the person who's supposed to be the recipient. And it looks legitimate. It's in a regular email string. And those are very successful. Money gets wired to a fraud account for, at a legitimate US bank, but almost immediately it's moved out of that account to a foreign bank. And before uh, anybody realizes the money didn't go uh, where it was supposed to, um, it's, it's gone and out of the country. So that's one thing we've seen a lot of targeting this particular uh, population. Uh, the other thing is something that affects all groups, but this one as well is, is ransomware. That can affect obviously huge businesses, but also individuals and, and small offices, for example, like family offices. And you know, if ransomware ends up on your system, 
it can lock up all of the data, make it totally inaccessible. So if you're an individual, you can use lose your personal records, you can lose photos. If you're a family office, it can completely cripple the operation. And paying the ransom to try to get your data back can be one, expensive, and two, very uncertain as to whether it's gonna work and whether you're gonna ultimately get back what you lost. And then the final uh, area that I'd focus on, particularly for this um, group of individuals, is identity theft. Uh, people who are high net worth, particular targets, they have good credit, they have access to all kinds of uh, financial facilities, and so people will take their identity information and use it to open credit accounts, to file tax returns that are, that are false, uh, to file unemployment claims, all kinds of things like that. Adam, that's really helpful. And I think Kristen would agree, we, we, we've seen both in our personal lives and from our clients, examples of all of those types of, of crimes. So they're frustrating, concerning, annoying to deal with. In one case, we actually had a client who was a victim of someone taking over their email account to falsify a Choate invoice. And we were able to, to solve that, but the taking over of the email account isn't limited to just changing wire instructions. So we've seen that take on different manifestations, you know, in different ways through our clients' experiences. I've had my identity stolen to the extent where my all my mail was changed to a different address. And then subsequently I had other clients report to me that the same thing happened to them. So it can, you know, it can be quite destructive if you're not on top of things. And maybe this is the right time to ask Adam, how, how does one protect yourself from these things? What does one do if it happens to you? The first thing I would say is if you've got counsel, you've got a lawyer that you work with, call them. They, they could be helpful in, in not necessarily solving all your problems, but having you think about it the right way and pointing you to the right experts you're going to need. In particular, you're probably going to need technical experts. Depends on the kind of crime. But if you're hit with ransomware, you're definitely going to need someone who can help you with that on the technical side. Same thing on these you know, email accounts. Someone's in your email account, whether you're an individual or whether you're, a, say, a family office or some other kind of business, you need someone to come in to figure out what these bad guys have gotten access to, what they've done, and how to get them out and keep them out. And so, you know, you're going to need some help there. But who you get, what the right expert is, is going to vary depending on your situation and depending on what's happened to you. So again, your, your counsel should be able to help you direct you in the right place there. The other thing to keep in mind is that law enforcement sometimes can be helpful, particularly on the the email compromise fraud, if it does involve, for example, a wire transfer that's happened and you've now transferred, you know, 50,000, 400,000, whatever the amount is to a fraud account, if you can get to the FBI within a day, two, maybe three, oftentimes those wires can actually be reversed, but you need law enforcement help with that. And so uh, it's, it's worth pursuing that as quickly as possible. They also may be able to identify who it is who did this and potentially prosecute them, which is certainly uh, worth doing and also, again, may help you get your money back. Well, it's good to hear that there could be some ways to cover damages that might come out of these, these cyber crimes. But maybe shifting to pre prevention, Adam, can you just give some tips on how you might take some steps to avoid being subject to these crimes in the first place? So the first place to start there is with passwords. I mean, that the root of so many cyber crimes and so many identity thefts and things are with people using really sloppy password practices. Try to be thoughtful about it. For example, don't reuse your passwords. 
Hackers know that. They know people reuse passwords and they're going to try them and they do try them. This happens all the time in all other kinds of accounts. And it's not okay if you use the same root to your password and just put a different number at the end for each of your accounts. That's not being secure. You know, the other thing is things that people can find on social media. So you might think it's clever to use, you know, if your cat's name is Fluffy, then your password could be Fluffy1, Fluffy2, Fluffy3, whatever. But if your Facebook page has pictures of your cat and says, oh, here's my cat Fluffy. Again, anyone out there focused on you at all is gonna know that, and that's the first password they're gonna try to guess. On the other hand, if you're gonna use different passwords for each of your accounts, and they're gonna have some level of complexity to them, then you can't possibly remember them all. So you're gonna have to write them down in some fashion. And the thing I would say here is you gotta store them securely then, right? Don't put them on Post-its in your office and leave them sitting around. Um, and don't store them in a document called passwords right on your, the desktop of your unencrypted home computer, right? Store them somewhere that's secure. Or there's an alternative, which is using what's called a password manager. That's a kind of software um, that uh, a bunch of different companies offer. You pay it for it, you know, a couple of dollars a month. And basically what they do is you have one then very complex password for your password manager account. And it in turn then knows and controls access to all of your other accounts. Can be very helpful. Um, you don't have to remember a million different passwords, just one, and that can be very complex. Um, and that can be a solution for people that's worth considering as well. Um, Adam, do you, have, uh, do you have a recommendation as to whether the more old-fashioned method of just writing it on a piece of paper that you keep in your vault or in some secure place in your home is better than this password manager solution? Well, you know, listen, it, it, sure, if you have it, you know, you have it on a piece of paper that is kept somewhere that is secure that no one who you would worry about has access to, that can be great. Of course, you're not always going to have that with you, though is the challenge, right? And if you've got, you know, you got a phone and you got an iPad, you got a work computer, a home computer, all those things, and let's assume we're in a time when we're not all sitting in our homes to work, you know, that's the problem with having it on a piece of paper. It's not always where you want it. If you have it on a, you know, if you use a password manager, for example, you can then access it on all your different uh, devices at any time. So that would be an advantage to that. The, the other thing people really need to do is use multi-factor authentication on their email accounts. So you've got a Gmail account that you use or Hotmail or whatever. There's a function built in where you can have two-factor authentication. And that means that if you try to access or someone else tries to access that account from a new computer, a new IP address, a phone that it hasn't done it before, it will send just a, a text or message of some kind to your phone. You have to authorize that. These days, it's not intrusive and it's a really good protection against a lot of these things. Next step, wire transfers. This is just a classic one. If, if, you, if you're in some kind of business and you get or direction to change wire transfer locations, send money to a new place, confirm it with a phone call. Do not rely on email for wire transfer directions. To protect from ransomware, make sure you've got everything you really value on your computer backed up somewhere else. If you're an individual, that's important. If you're a business, small business, again, you have to have backups that are separate and segmented from your network so you're not, you don't lose all that data if it's locked up. A um, couple other tips. Be careful of public Wi-Fi. If you're in the airport, you're on a plane, you need to assume that anything you do can be picked up by someone else. If you're not using a VPN, virtual private network, maybe your, your business has one, you could set them up individually if you want, then your traffic's encrypted and it can't be seen. If you're not doing that, anything you do 
on public Wi-Fi is accessible. Don't buy things. Don't do financial transactions. And the last piece is really consider if you've been the victim of identity theft or if you are concerned about it, freezing your credit can be done through the three credit agencies, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. The Federal Trade Commission, FTC, has a page on it on their website, which is a great resource. If you go to the FTC website and look up credit freeze, fairly easy to do, and it means that no one can open a credit account in your name. They can't get a credit card. They can't buy a car in your name. Those things happen. Um, and if that does happen to you, it is a tremendous mess to unwind. Um, if you freeze your credit, no one can do that. It means that you have to unfreeze it in order to do those things yourself, but that's fairly easy and quick to do, and it's worth considering. So Adam, on that point about freezing credit, I, I can just say I personally have done that, and it is really, really a wonderful protection. I also want to say a couple of things that, that you haven't mentioned, Adam, but are maybe lower hanging fruit that actually do happen to our clients quite a lot. Phone calls out of the blue from someone claiming to be the IRS, you owe us $20,000. Someone claiming to be from the Social Security Administration, you're about to lose your benefits. Someone calling from a, a bank that our client may or may not have a credit card with, claiming there's some problem and they need personal information from the client. Those are maybe lower, as I say, low-hanging fruit, maybe things that are obvious. You shouldn't, you shouldn't respond to those calls out of the blue. But maybe you, the expert Adam, can tell tell us and all our clients, really don't, really don't give out your information if you get inquiries like that. I mean, that's that's absolutely right. And it is sometimes hard to know these days. Credit card companies are good. If they pick up fraud on your account, they will call you or send you an email. So sometimes that can be legitimate. You have to be thoughtful about it. But absolutely, if you get a, you know, typically that'll come by an electronic message, an email from the credit card company asking you to call them. Um, be very suspicious about any actual phone call you get out of the blue where the person then asks for your information. If, if someone's actually alerting you to a problem, they're not going to need information from you. So if you get a call and someone's asking you to give them information or to pay them money, it's most likely a fraud and those are rampant right now. Well, this is great, Adam. Th thanks so much for all of your time and talking to us today about cybersecurity risks for high net worth individuals. And we're, we're lucky that we've got you as a resource on these issues. Thank you also to our listeners for tuning in. You can listen to more episodes of Choate's Family Office podcast series and other Choate podcasts in the newsroom of our website and subscribe to them wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. The information provided in this recording is for informational purposes only. While Choate and Choate Investment Advisors make every attempt to present accurate information, the information on this recording may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances, and it may become outdated over time. The views expressed on this podcast should not be construed as advice for your given situation. If you have questions about your specific situation, you should consult your attorney for legal advice, and you should consult your financial advisor. Moreover, Choate Investment Advisors may decide to select investments on a different basis at any time and without prior notice. Finally, as everyone should know, past performance is not a guarantee of future performance.